Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Continue to be with us, Lord. We ask you to bless this offering, 
She do a beautiful job. Miss Karen Pickler, all the way from downtown Lebanon, Tennessee, <laughs> downtown. Uh, her husband is General John Pickler, and we're so thankful that you've come to share your talents today. I don't think you'll find a more humble human being anywhere on the face of the earth than Miss Karen. She's sweet as she can be. Thank you. Well, as we continue to worship, I'm going to let you be seated for a while. Everybody, you know, this poor old Baptist guy's got us up and down, up and down. But we're going to be seated. We'll sing Majesty Choir. Will you stand, please? Majesty, worship His majesty unto Jesus. Worship His Majesty, 
darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary. Tried by sinful men, torn and beaten men, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power. became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain written on your Bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow, this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finished the victory cry. This the power became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see my Written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death, life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. Is the power. Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost, we stand forgiven. This is the power of the cross. 
is the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost we stand for.
washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I'm clean, I'm clean, oh, oh. Washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I'm clean. I am clean. I'm clean. Oh, you made me. You washed me. And amen. Good morning. I must confess, I don't normally bring water to the pulpit. I've been told by all of those who grade public speaking that drinking water while speaking publicly is distracting to the audience. However, I have a cough that does not seem to want to quit. So it's either that I hack through a sermon or that I take a drink of water on occasion. You pick which is more distracting this morning. So I apologize if water is distracting to you. Well, pray that it won't distract you today. John chapter 14 Verses 12 through 15, the title of this morning's message is New Beginnings for this New Year. New Beginnings for this New Year. And we gather here on this first Lord's Day of 2018. And it is always such a pleasure to gather with the saints here this morning. Thank you, Miss Karen, for coming to play. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, choir for leading us in worship this morning, but last week we had a unique opportunity. We had an opportunity to gather and say goodbye to 2017. Whether 2017 had been the best year of your life or the worst year of your life, it ended last Sunday. Last Sunday was the end of 2017, and we gathered to depart. We said that as a whole, we need to fixate our eyes upon Jesus Christ, that that's where our eyes have to be looking if we're to move forward from whatever 2017 was, we have to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ. We had a moment this week to pause and reflect on this coming year, and I realized something that I hope that all of you have already realized, and that is there is no reason why 2018 can't be the very best year of serving the Lord that any of us have ever experienced. There is no reason why this coming year can't be the year that at the end of it you look back and say, I served the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind, 
with all my strength, with all my might. I served him in spirit. I served him in truth. There is no reason why this can't be that year. And so we're going to, to look this morning at a few things that perhaps we can do, a few decisions that we can make this morning, this very morning, that are going to affect the next 51 weeks of our lives and even beyond. If 2017 was your greatest year yet, good. It's over. Put it behind you. It's time to move on. If 2017 was your worst year yet, good. It's over. Put it behind you and move on. New beginnings for a new year. Please stand in honor and reverence for the reading and teaching of the holy words of our holy God from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. Let us pray. Father God, as we gather together here this morning, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, we ask you write your words upon our hearts. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell among us this morning. God, I pray that if there be anything that would hinder us from worship of you, that you would escort that demon spirit right out the front door at this very moment. That we would give the next few moments to you and you alone because you and you alone are worthy of our worship. God, you have your way and your will, and we will stand back and give you the honor and the praise and the glory for all things. It's in your precious name that we pray as all God's children said. And you may be seated. <clears throat> now verse 12 introduces an idea to us about this coming year, really about our lives in general. But I want us to focus on in this coming year that there is a possibility for productivity in 2018 that we need to recognize and embrace. Verse 12 says that for those who believe in him, there is potential not to do the work that Brother Jason did, there is potential not to do the work that your Sunday school teacher did. Uh, there is potential not to do the work that the music minister does. There's not potential to do the work that your deacons do. Uh, there is a potential to do the work that Jesus did. Now, and not just the work that Jesus did, but greater work than Jesus did. Now, what do you mean, Brother Jason, greater work than Jesus did? Well, we'll just hang with me. I'm not saying that we're going to go to a cross ourselves and die for man's sin. Jesus was the only one can do that. But bear with me for just a few minutes because there is a possibility for productivity in our lives if we would just embrace the scripture. And it says that if we believe on him, that there are great works that we can accomplish even greater than those that Jesus did. But we need to think about that. 
We're talking about here a productivity that isn't limited, I said, to the pastor. It's not limited to your deacons. It's not limited to your Sunday school teachers. It is not just something that can be. It is something that is expected even of everyone that believes on Jesus. What I'm saying here is it has nothing to do with your assignment. It doesn't anywhere in that verse say that those who have been assigned a position to do great works will do great works. It doesn't say that those who have been called into the ministry can do great works. It doesn't say that those who have been gifted with a musical voice can do great works. It says those who believe. That's the only assignment that it gives is that if you believe on him, then you're capable of doing great works. Not just capable, but expected. See, sometimes we act like this is an opportunity. And it is an opportunity, but it is an expectation For those of us who believe in the Lord, those of us who believe in Christ, we are expected to serve the Lord. You know, here in this church, we have expectations that go with assignments. We understand that, don't we? If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're expected to be here and be prepared to teach a Sunday school class. If you're a deacon, you're expected to be here for the deacon's meetings. You're expected to be called upon for certain things. If, uh, if you find yourself in charge of the youth, then you're expected to spend some time with the youth, even if it kills you. Just a joke. Those of you not catching up in 2018, come on. But regardless of your assignment inside the church, regardless of your assignment here at this church, if you believe in him, he expects a great work from us. And so it's not based on our assignment, but it's not based on on our age either. That means in, in our midst today, the very youngest among us, the very youngest among us, if you are saved, if you have Christ, then you can accomplish a great work for Jesus Christ. The very youngest among us, Our smallest child who believes in Christ, there is an expectation of great things on that child to serve the Lord this year. You don't have to wait, children, until you're as old as your parents. You don't have to wait until you have the silver hair of your grandparents to serve the Lord. You can do a great work right now. But can I just say that the opposite is equally as true? The youngest among us can do a great work. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, those of us who are on the other end of that span, the oldest among us, well, you can still do a great work for Jesus as well. If your heart is still beating and your mind is still working, then God is not finished with you yet. He hasn't placed a cursor at the end. We don't reach the age of retirement from our secular job and God say, well, I'm done with that one. It's too old. No, if your heart is still beating, if there's still breath in your lungs, you are still capable of serving the Lord. And this could be the most productive year of your life if you will just let Christ use you. I hear so many times, well, I served faithfully for a number of years in this ministry. I did this for for then. I did this. I did this. So what are you doing now? Oh, well, I just come to church now. It's somebody else's turn. Well, maybe it's somebody else's turn to do the heavy lifting, but it's not your time to to ride into the KOA sunset of retirement in the church house. It's still time to work for Christ no matter what your age. The productivity that's possible in 2018, it's not based on your assignment. It's not 
even based on your age. And friends, I've got even better news for you. It's not even based on your ability. You say, Pastor, I, I just don't have anything to offer. I can't teach a class. I, I, can't, I can't drive a bus. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't have any particular talent. I, I can't play the piano like Miss Karen. I can't sing like Miss Katie. I can't prepare a message like you. I can't do this. I can't do that. My friends, I want you to focus on something. If God can use a donkey to correct a wayward prophet, if God can use a rock to kill a giant, if God can use a sack lunch to feed a multitude, and if God can use some rough timbers to save the world, then God can use me. And God can use you. And your ability is not an excuse. God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those whom he calls. And if God has a call on your life for productivity, it is expected. Not, not just something you can do. It's something you should do and something that is expected in this coming year. But there's a little word there that stops many of us from achieving this greater productivity. It's a little Greek word that we find there in verse 12. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works. That Greek word is ergon. The ergon that I do, he will do also. That, that little Greek word, it means work. Some of you have tools in your garage that on the box it says they are ergonomically designed. What that is, is that's taking that Greek word, it's applying and it's saying that those tools are designed to do work better. They're designed to do work quicker or better. This word for work here is often translated as deeds. When Paul describes the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, he says we'll be evaluated by Christ based on our ergon, our deeds, our works. What have we done for the Lord? Ephesians 2 says we're saved by grace to do good ergon, to do good works. We weren't saved to do less. We weren't saved to cruise into heaven. We were saved to do good works for Christ. So I don't have enough time, Brother Jason. I don't have enough time, Brother Jason. Can I just tell you something about 2018 that I did a little research this past week and I have found to be absolutely true? In 2018, we are still going to have 24 hours in every day and 168 hours in every week, just the same it's what we did in 2017. I didn't want to mention this last week until I'd had a week to study it out. But that's still the way that it has come out. There's not going to be an extra abundance of time for you to suddenly do more work for Christ. There's not going to be an extra abundance of time placed into your life. You're still going to have the same things in your life that you had. But I've called you to do a greater productivity. I've told you that Jesus has called you to a greater productivity. Can I just tell you something that I have found to be true about time? You make time for the things that are important to you. You find the time to do the things that are important to you. And so in 2018, as you look to a possible productivity, one thing you've got to recognize is that where I spend my time
It's where my heart really is. And so is your time going to be in your work? Is it going to be in your family? Or is it going to be in your Jesus that saved your soul? That's the question. Will I give my time first to Jesus or will I give it to everything else and give Jesus what I have left? And that's going to determine, friends, whether you achieve this possible productivity that is there for you. It's where do you give your time to first. Now, I want to be clear before we move on. I don't want to say anything heretical from this pulpit. Jesus says we'll do greater works than him. Now, we're talking about a Jesus that caused the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the dead to live. He told the storms to stop. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. And not to mention, he saved the world. I am not saying that we're going to do a greater work quality-wise than that which Jesus did. We're not going to accomplish something that Jesus didn't accomplish in terms of a greater work in essence, so to speak. But when Jesus says that, He's saying his ministry on this earth was in a geographical area that was pretty small. And when he says that his disciples are going to do a work that was even greater than he did, what he's talking about is that we have the ability to share the gospel in ways that Jesus did not have when he walked on this earth. We can spread it to a greater number of people. Let me give you an example of that. Charles Stanley has preached to more people than Jesus ever did. Billy Graham once preached to an estimated one billion with a B. Billion with a B. He preached to an estimated one billion people through a crusade and a television. Peter preached to more people on the day of Pentecost than we ever have recorded as an audience for Jesus when he walked on this earth. Can I bring it down even closer for you? Jesus never taught the preschool Sunday school class, but you can. He never served in the choir. He never served on the technology team. He never came to the Hearts for Hunger food giveaway in Lebanon, Tennessee. But you can. And so the question that we should ask ourselves this morning is this. When people look at us, do they say we're doing the same kind of work that Jesus did? Proclaiming his gospel? And do they say we're doing it on a bigger scale than Jesus did? Sharing with more people. Now the good news is if 2017 wasn't your most productive year for serving the Lord, maybe you were tired, maybe you were giving up ministries left and right, maybe you were taking a break, maybe you were asleep, I don't know what you were doing, but maybe 2017 wasn't your most productive year serving the Lord. I have good news for you. It ain't 2017 no more. And we have a gracious God who is ready to use you in 2018 if you will be used by him. So there's a productivity that is possible in 2018. But something that will go along with that is there's going to have to be a more powerful prayer in 2018. A more powerful prayer life. Jesus has been telling his apostles in this section of scripture that he's going away. He's essentially gathered them and he's telling them, I'm about to die and I'm going to go away. And so he's sharing some comfort with them. And here he says to them, even though I'm going away, you're still going to have access to me. And the good news is, if you ask something in my name, I'm going to provide it for you. And so there's a couple of little silly things I want to point out as we go. Seems like they ought to be second nature. But in my life, I don't always grasp them. So I'm assuming some of you might not either. Notice a couple of things here 
in verses 13 and 14. He says, and whatever you ask in my name. And then in 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name. He kind of places a prerequisite on our answered prayers of this. He says, you got to ask. You got to ask. That sounds simple. It sounds like something that we ought to get. But I got a confession to make. As your pastor, I don't often pray as I ought to pray. I often dive headlong into something and try my best to figure it out and pray later. I didn't ask before I got going. And so I missed an opportunity to be led by Christ. The book of James says to us that we don't have because we don't ask. But he says not just ask. He says something else. He says ask in his name. He says it in verse 13 and then again in verse 14. If Jesus said it twice in two verses, it must be important, right? It says, if you ask in my name. So what does that even mean, ask in his name? Well, I'll tell you this. It's much more than a tagline on the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. In Christ's name we pray. It's much more than that. It is good practice. We teach our children to conclude their prayers in Christ's name. That's a good biblical practice to do. But you know that you can say a prayer and end it with, in Jesus' name I pray, and still not really offer a prayer in Christ's name. So what, what do you mean, preacher? To pray in Christ's name means to pray something that is consistent with his will, consistent with his character, consistent with his nature. In essence, it is praying something that Jesus would pray. Let me give you an example. Not long ago, someone came to me in this congregation. They called me aside after an evening service. And they said that someone else had said something in their presence who goes to this church. And when they were telling me that, I thought to myself, that doesn't sound like something that that person would say. That doesn't line up with their character. That doesn't line up with their nature that I've come to know. That just doesn't sound quite right. And so upon further investigation, I'll have you know that the truth was actually closer to what I thought that person might would say. It was something more in line with their character. Have you ever had that in your life where somebody comes to you and says, Oh, such and such said this. And when they say that, you think, well, that doesn't sound like something they would say. That doesn't really sound like something consistent with the person that I know. I wonder if sometimes when we pray and conclude our prayer with the phrase, in Jesus' name I pray, if the Father doesn't say, I don't think so. It doesn't sound like something that my son would pray. Well, you're praying in my son's name, but that's not the kind of thing that my son would pray. Can I tell you something? To pray in Christ's name, to pray something that Christ would pray, do you know the most sure way that you can do that? It's to pray things that Christ actually said. And where do we find that crazy, hard-to-get information of the things that Christ actually said? In our Word. In our copy of God's Word. When I pray, I love to pray like this. I, it just comes, I know that this prayer is going to be answered when I pray. And I say, God, 
You said in your word that if I would confess my sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. That's an exciting prayer to pray because I know that God is going to answer that prayer because God told me in his word that that's the kind of prayer that I ought to be praying. God, please save this lost loved one. And Jesus, you said you came to save those which are lost. I'm asking you to save this person, Jesus. And I think the father hears that prayer and says, that sounds like something my son would pray. That sounds like something one of my children would pray. We have to ask in the name and the character and the will of Christ. It gets better, though. Verse 13 and 14, they, they say what Jesus is going to do when we pray in this way. Ask in my name. Verse 13, he says, that, what? And one of you was awake. That, two of you. Let's go. Come on, we're going to keep doing this all morning. Ask in my name that. Perfect, there you go. Verse 13, he says, ask in my name, that I will do. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He gives us a prerequisite of our prayer to ask in his name, but then he gives us a promise. He says, ask it in my name, and I will do it. Pray to God a prayer that Jesus would pray that lines up with the character of Christ, and he will answer that prayer, friends. He will answer that prayer. Notice Jesus is still the one doing it, but he's doing it through the avenue of prayer. Now, many have taken these verses and launched into big careers and grown mega churches using these verses to support what I call a name it and claim it movement. Some folks call it a blab it and grab it movement. I'm going to speak something and it's going to happen because he says if I ask it in his name. So I'm going to say, God, give me that good parking spot at Walmart that I'm looking for. In Christ's name I pray, amen. And I can speak that parking spot into existence. God, I'd like for there to be a short buffet line. And good food at the restaurant today, in Christ's name I pray. And I claim good food in a short buffet line. Can I remind you that if you understand the Bible on prayer, if you understand the entire scope of Scripture on prayer, prayer is not about you changing God's mind. Prayer is about receiving. God's mind. Let me say it again. We don't pray that we might change God's mind. We pray that we might receive God's mind. It's not about me telling God what I want. It's about me understanding what God wants. Jesus says, if you ask in that way, God, I want what would glorify you. God, I want you to be glorified in this situation. If you pray in that way, then God will answer your prayers. When I look at my prayer life, I confess, I could have been a better prayer warrior in 2017. But many of you, 
would have to look at me and admit the same thing if you were willing to be honest that you could have been a better prayer warrior in 2017. But bless God, we've got a new year. And we've got a new beginning and there is no reason why this year we can't have a more powerful prayer life. That we would ask God that his will would be done and we would ask God to reveal to us what is your will. That we would receive God's mind instead of praying to change God's mind. So this year can be a year of great productivity. It can be a year of powerful prayer, but it's got to be a year of personal practice. Verse 15 says this to us. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, can I just tell you something, church? The love of God is unconditional. Thank God that the love of God is unconditional. But the psalmist in chapter 1, verse 1, starts to put it plainly for us when he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His law he does meditate on day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by rivers of living water, and whatever he does prospers. Folks, the love of Christ is unconditional, but the blessings of Christ are not. Psalms 1 puts that plainly for us. If we sit in the seat of the sinful, if we stay in the place of the scornful, if we stay in that place, we don't fall into the blessing spout. It says, blessed is the man that meditates on the word of God day and night, who lives by his statutes. He'll be like a tree planted by the living water, and everything he does will prosper. Folks, if we're going to have our most productive year serving Christ, we're going to have to practice some things in our own life. If you read that verse literally in the Greek, it would read, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That whole phrase would go, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Many of us hear verse 15, and we hear it like an invitation. If you love me, would you please keep my commandments? Uh, if you love me, do you mind possibly on Sunday keeping my commandments? If you love me, could you possibly find time to keep my statutes? But instead, it's not an invitation, it's a declaration. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we know if we love Christ? We look at what we're doing. What are we practicing? What are the things that are playing out in our lives? Because if you love Christ, you will keep his commandments. Not you can, not you might. You will keep his commandments. Now let me, let me put something on you that hit me this week that I want you to think about. Because if I'm going to have to think about it, well, you're going to have to think about it. If that statement is true, then the inverse or the reciprocal of that statement is equally as true. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then that means when I sin, 
It's because in that moment, I'm not loving Jesus as I ought to. Think about that with me. When I sin, I'm not loving Jesus the way that I ought to. I'm loving myself instead of Jesus. Now, I did not say that a person who sins doesn't love Jesus. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But what I'm saying is in that moment of sin, you just aren't loving Christ like you should. Because if you were, you would be keeping his commandments. When I give in to temptation, when I give in to enticement, in that moment, I'm not loving Christ. I'm loving me. And so if we're going to have a godly personal practice, if we're going to practice the things we ought to practice, then perhaps we need to make our way to the altar and instead of praying that God would make me hate my sin more, we might just pray that God would make me love him more. That God would reveal more of himself to me that I might keep his commandments more. Let me, let me make it a little more practical to you. That means husband... When you lose your temper with your wife and say something that you ought not say. Nah, wrong side. When you lose your temper with your wife and you say something that you ought not say, in that moment you don't love your wife incorrectly. You love Jesus incorrectly. It means when my kids act like that part of the family that my in-laws brought to the picture... And I respond with sinful anger. I'm not loving my children incorrectly. I'm loving Jesus incorrectly. I'm not loving God properly. Now that ought to put sin right in perspective for you. We think of sin as something that we can't control, something that just happens, something that comes along. But my friends, when we sin, it is an example that we don't love Jesus the way we ought to love Jesus. When I say things I ought not say, do things I ought not do, want things I ought not want. The problem is not with any of those things. It's with me and my love for Christ in those moments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now again, thank God that this is a new year. And if 2017 wasn't marked by you keeping the commandments of Jesus the way that you ought to, if it wasn't marked by you loving Jesus the way that you should love Jesus, you have an opportunity this morning to make a commitment right now that you'll love Christ as you ought to in 2018. And So how do we close this message? How do we respond to this word? Well, Maybe you wish to have a more productive year serving Christ in 2018. So how do we do that? Well, one, we have to decide that we're going to serve him first and then give everything else our time. Number two, we've got to pray in his name prayers that ask for his wisdom to be revealed to us and not for our desires to be revealed to him. And finally, we have to keep his commandments and his statutes. Will you commit to make in 2018 your best year serving Christ with me this morning. Lay at the altar anything that hinders you, anything that's held you back. Leave it at his feet this morning. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you.
We thank you for your word, for your mercy, for your truth, Lord God. And God, for many of us, as we gather this morning, if we were being brutally honest, we would say, thank God that 2017 is over. And the good news is that's okay. God, give us the courage to lay at your feet anything that hinders us from worshiping you in spirit and in truth this year, Lord God. God, for somebody here, you've called them to serve you in some capacity. Would you give them the courage to make this the year that they are obedient to you, Lord? And God, there may be one here who's never followed you, who's never accepted you. And God, would you make this new year the year of their salvation, Lord God? Would you save their soul? It is in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.